2 Samuel chapter 3, please. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, if you have the map that I gave out, I think it was last week, it might have been the week before, uh, pull that out. Uh, if not, see me afterwards, we'll get you a copy of the map, but we'll, we'll refer to that uh, a couple of times here tonight, but, um, well, we'll see, we'll see the things that um, we want to see when we get there. Uh, so tonight we'll see here um, the situation between uh, David uh, and the house of David and uh, the house of Saul, uh, what's left of it now. Uh, Mike, the civil war continues to brew. It seems like when we get into this chapter here that uh, it's been brewing for a time. Maybe it's a little bit more like a cold war, but it's been, it's been going on over a time, period of time. Remember, Saul is dead now, right? Uh, but his general, Abner, uh, has propped up one of Saul's sons to be a king over 11 of the tribes. And uh, David is, you know, God's man, king over the, the other at this time. Uh, we'll see here tonight, the Lord will fix that situation, but who's that, who's that son of Saul? Who's that, that son of Saul who's still living, who has been propped up by Abner, Saul's general, uh, to be king? Ish, Ishbosheth, uh, Ishbosheth. Remember, his, his name is, uh, it has literal Hebrew meaning. Mike, it's taken right out of the Hebrew. If you could say Ishbosheth, you could speak Hebrew. It's man, Ish. Remember, Ish is man, Isha. Uh, is woman, A-H makes it feminine. Uh, so, Zach, remember it's man of uh, Bosch, Bosheth. Uh, shame would be a good would be a good translation. You can translate it a few ways, but shame would be good. His name literally means man of shame. Mike, I don't think his parents would name him that, but somewhere along the way he probably became known as, as this man of shame for uh, his disobedience to the Lord. His disobedience to the Lord is a shameful thing, no doubt. Um, so th that's the context. Uh, Ishboth Sheth is propped up uh, by uh, Abner, Saul's, Saul's former general. Uh, he's reigning over, sort of tenuously reigning over uh, 11 other tribes. Uh, David, of course, uh, reigns over the, the, the other. And um, this is the situation. So uh, let's jump in. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, we see here uh, David's being blessed. Uh, we saw last week he, he faithfully turned the Lord and, and asked for God's direction. Uh, and, and God seems to be blessing him uh, in various ways for his obedience. We'll see here in verse 1, he's blessed with strength. Uh, now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Remember, Abner is over the house of Saul. Uh, Joab is, is David's general, be his nephew. Uh, David's general. So this, this civil war continues to brew. But, middle of verse 1, here's a blessing for David. But David waxed what? Stronger, and what else? And stronger. He waxed stronger and stronger over time. So uh, it, it looks, Brother Gary, like God is just continuing to bless David's obedience. We know David is God's choice, uh, but we, we also know that in the past when David hasn't been quite as obedient, it seems like he's been chastened a bit or uh, sometimes more than a bit. And of course, in the future, well, we know that when he's being less obedient, we might call that disobedient, he'll be chastened by the Lord again in the future. But this being a period of relative obedience to the Lord, it seems like he's being blessed and blessed uh, throughout the process of, of this war that just goes on for a period of time. We don't know how long for sure, but it seems like a period of time. The Bible says it's a long war. David is growing stronger and stronger. Uh, and the house of Saul, uh, his enemies, waxed what? 
weaker and what? Weaker. So David's growing stronger and stronger over time, uh, and his enemies are growing weaker and weaker over time. I think there's two blessings for David uh, in view there. The Lord sees two ways to bless David here, Brother Art. Uh, David's getting stronger and stronger. That's a blessing. Uh, but as he's growing stronger, his enemies are growing weaker and weaker. Both of those are blessings, uh, no doubt. Uh, I think you, you could debate, um, does this absolutely have to be supernatural? I would argue that it does because... Uh, the house of Saul, no doubt, there, there, there has more men at their disposal, uh, arguably more, more territory, more men, perhaps more resources. You'd think that they would be uh, gaining a greater and greater stronghold, gaining strength, but the opposite is true. And so I think you, you have to see here, at least we do well to choose to see God at work here, blessing David with strength. Uh, and multiplying that blessing by, at the same time, weakening uh, his enemies. Maryland, God can do that. God can do that. He finds all different ways to bless us on both sides of that equation, and uh, praise God for that. Uh, there's another blessing, and I'm going to say this is a gracious blessing. Zach, what do I mean by that, do you suppose? If I say a blessing is a gracious blessing, what might I mean? It might be an undeserved blessing. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to continue to stress the fact that there's a relative obedience in David's life at this time, but it is an imperfect obedience, Mike, just like our lives, right? We are, we strive in, in God's strength to obey and to be obedient, but we recognize our obedience is an imperfect one. Uh, David's going to be blessed here, we're going to see, with uh, six sons. Uh, what's the problem with that? Does anyone have a thought? Do you know, even before we look at it? There's six wives in view here, yeah. There, he's he's been blessed with six sons, but they're, they're from six different wives. And I know some people have looked at this and said, well, God doesn't seem to, um, God doesn't come out here and say, oh, that's, that's sin and David needs to be chastened for that. So must be David setting an example here. A Mormons would pick up, or certain of the Mormons, a portion of the Mormons would pick up on this and say, God, God doesn't chasten David for this. He seems to bless him uh, despite this. And so it must be okay to have three or four or five or six or seven or eight or more uh, wives. Well, we know that's not God's plan. You look back to the Garden of Eden and see what God's plan is for marriage. And so uh, I'll, I'll say, Zach, that this is a, a very gracious blessing in view here. David's blessed with six sons, despite the fact that they're from six different women who he seems to be married to concurrently or roughly so. Uh, so look with me here. Uh, verse 2, under David were born sons in Hebron. We saw that on the map. And the first was Amnon of Ahinoam, the, the Jezreelitess. Uh, this is the son. This is the first son, uh, his first son. This is one who will later commit a great uh, sin against uh, his sister. We'll, we'll see that later on. Uh, verse 3, his second son, uh, Chiliab, or Chiliab of Abigail, uh, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third, Absalom. And of course, we know that Absalom will revolt against his dad in the future. He's the son of Maaka, the daughter of Talmai, uh, king of Geshur, or Jeshur. Just make a quick point here about Jeshur, or Geshur. Uh, where is this place? Why does it have a king? Why don't we, why don't we think more about it or know, know more about it? We really can't say an awful lot about that, uh, except in chapter 15 and verse 8, Geshur is called Geshur in Syria. So evidently it's a city or a town in Syria, uh, strong enough, powerful enough to have a, a king uh, over that city or over that region. So Syria would be up there in the northeast um, still is, right? If you went to Israel today and you went, you went north, 
you, you, you'd, in the East Tibet, you'd, you'd run into Syria today. That's not changed. So uh, there's third son, um, verse 4, the fourth, uh, Adonijah. Uh, Zach, any thoughts about the meaning of this young man's name, Adonijah? Adonijah, any thoughts on that? There's Adonai, and there's Jah. Uh, and in Hebrew, sometimes Jah appears as a shortened form of Jehovah. Uh, so what, what do we know about Adonai? What's that mean? Gary, do you have any thoughts on that? Was it? Or, or Lord? Uh, Lord, uh, more literally, but yeah, it's a reference to the Lord, generally, but specifically uh, Lord. So uh, his name means something like Lord God or Lord Jehovah. Lord Jehovah, literally. Um, sometimes you see Jah um, Jah together in the Hebrew, not not Gabor, right? That's different. Uh, that's a bad joke. Uh, sometimes you see that in, in the Hebrew when the Lord is trying to stress the strength. Uh, of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is, is um, you know, in, in, in scripturing uh, the language, giving it to the writer, uh, in, in passages that talk about the strength of the Lord. Sometimes you'll see Ja, Ja together. Uh, the idea being that the Lord's name, his personal name, Jehovah, uh, connotes the idea of strength. He's, he's the one who exists because he is. He's the self-existing one. Uh, the fact that that is true points to his strength and, and other attributes, but uh, certainly to his strength, his might, uh, his self-strength, his self-might. So anyway, this would be the idea of, of this son's name. Uh, next part of verse 4, the fifth, uh, uh, Shephatiah. I don't know what his name means. He's the son of Abital. Uh, the sixth is Ithrium uh, by Elga, David's wife. These were born uh, to David in Hebron. So Again, I would say, Mike, there's, there's a gracious blessing here. There's a lot of obedience in David's life, and, and God does seem to be blessing him for that, despite the fact that it's an imperfect obedience and, and the fact of six wives. And someone else would say, well, well he's been blessed with six wives. Why don't we talk about, no, I don't think that's a blessing from the Lord. I think that's, that's a choice David's made. God is permitting that. Uh, but let's, let's take care to remember, uh, Rich, that God will permit things that are not his plan right? He'll, he'll permit things that are sinful. So you can't look at something and say, well, God's permitting that, so it must be it's okay with God. No, God will permit all sorts of things uh, for a time, for a time. So we have to uh, take care not to just assume that if God permits something, that's his plan or his will uh, or, or a blessing from him. Uh, that not be the case. Nonetheless, David has been blessed with six sons, and so this is a uh, gracious, gracious blessing. Well, let's go on here. So that's, that's the context. That's the situation. We see David is being blessed in the context of his, his greater obedience. Uh, and yet there's, a, there's war going on here. Uh, there is war going on. That's a trial. Uh, that, that's a trial, but God's going to work in this war uh, to affect his will and, and, and his plan. And uh, Art, tonight we do well to be reminded that God works in trials to affect his will and, and his plan, right? Uh, and, and God's going to do that right here. So in this long simmering war, uh, God is wearing down the house of Saul uh, and, and Abner. Ab Abner is strengthened for a time, but eventually he's worn down. Uh, and, and Saul's house and Abner's armies, part of that uh, side of the equation in the land there, they're being worn down. 
Uh, and, and pretty soon they're going to see, hey, we, we need to get out from under this thing that is not God's plan and, uh, and come pl place ourselves under, under David uh, and, and get, get all aligned with God's plan. So Lord is going to uh, eventually use this uh, as well as a little bit of a personal situation here, a personal matter uh, to, to reveal uh, or to remind might be a better word that God has a plan that is not this war. Uh, verse six, it came to pass while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David that Abner, right? Uh, the, the, old, the old general of Saul, Abner made himself strong uh, for the house of Saul. He was fighting strong for, for the house of Saul, for Ishbosheth. Uh, and, and the tribes that were under Ishbosheth, uh, he's he's still Saul's guy. He's Ishbosheth, son, son of Saul, Saul's guy. Uh, he's he's doing his thing, um, but then he has a little run-in with Ishbosheth. Uh, he has a run-in with Ishbosheth. I want to stop here for one second and and have you think back. When I was recently summarizing the life of David, brother Gary, not David, sorry, Saul, we said that Saul started out well. And he did, right? He started out well. It was generally speaking, right? At least compared to you know, where, where things went over time. He started out well, but then something happened along the way which caused him to um, turn away from the Lord and, and the Lord's will and kind of pursue his, his own desires. Zach, I don't know if you remember what, what I said. Maybe you have a thought, whether it was my thought or not. Do you have a thought? Pride, yeah, I think we could see that. He, you know, he started to have some victories and he started to amass some power. Gary, did you have another thought? I was going to say that David, uh, the start of it, I guess, was that David slew his, not only was Saul, David slew his tenth thousand. Yeah, yeah, some, some uh, jealousy, uh, which really pointed to his pride again, right? Yeah, so the people were looking at Saul and saying, well, he's great, but look at David, he's really great, he's awesome. So there was jealousy, which goes to his pride also. It seems to me that, uh, as, as his pride grew, uh, he, he began to stumble, and he began to stumble more and more until the Lord said, this is not going to continue. I think you see something like that with Abner as well. Um, Mike, you know, these, these patterns repeat themselves, and, and, you know, the Lord allows us to see this because he wants us to stand guard against this, right? Uh, these patterns throughout Scripture repeat because... You know, we're, we're made out of the same stuff. We have the same sin nature as, as these men. Thankfully, saved people have a new nature as well. But it seems to me that Abner, uh, having had, you know, a lot of power under Saul and, and having retained enough power after Saul to prop up Saul's son to be a king uh, of, of 11 of the tribes, he, he probably has gotten more than a little prideful also. And, uh, and he begins to stray into different things as well. He in the next couple of verses here, he strays into a relationship. Uh, he chooses, I'm going to say, a relationship with one of Saul's concubines or a former concubine uh, of Saul. Of course, it's obviously a physical relationship. Uh, and, and he gets called out by Ishbosheth for this and estranges their relationship uh, so badly that Abner decides, I'm going to defect and go place myself un under David. Now, um, you know a little bit about the whole uh, concubine thing. That was a sinful thing, right? Uh, it was a tradition uh, among some men at, at this time that they would have wives who had the full, uh, the full, all, all the um, benefits of, of being a wife, but then men sometimes had concubines as well, right? They were they're not exactly wives. They were treated more like property than wives. 
uh, they, they were viewed as property. They were, I guess in practice, they were kind of like second-class wives, but they, uh, men would sometimes amass large numbers of these concubines, and evidently Saul, uh, Saul did, and that probably goes to his pride in the past also. Uh, anyway, um, Abner, in his pride, uh, his rebellion, his own rebellion against the Lord, uh, initiates a relationship with this former concubine of Saul. Uh, verse 7, Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ayah, uh, and Ishbosheth said to Abner, Wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? So here's Ishbosheth, he's been propped up by Abner, the powerful general. Uh, going to confront Abner, sort of the kingmaker. Uh, why, why are you doing this? Uh, I doubt that he thought it was a particularly immoral thing. He probably just thought, felt that it was disrespectful to the memory of his father. It was probably his issue, but uh, Ishbo, King Ishbosheth uh, challenges the kingmaker, Abner, why, why have you done this? What's the matter with you? Can't get, don't, don't you realize how, how wrong this is? And uh, Abner, put yourself in Abner's shoes. He's, he's probably embarrassed, uh, but also very upset that this son of Saul who's been propped up by powerful General Abner, uh, what business does he have challenging me? I've made him king. Uh, how could he possibly challenge me for this very private thing? And verse 8 says he became very wroth. He beca What's that mean, Rich? Wroth. He became very wroth. He became very angry, yeah, you know, probably storming around and pounding his fist. Abner was very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head? Is that what your Bible says? Is that what it says? It is what it says. Uh, you, you treat me like the, a, a dead dog or, or the head of a dead dog, which against you to do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, uh, to his brethren and to his friends that have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that would uh, charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. He said, who do you think you are? What, what in the world? Remember what I've done for you and what I could have done to you? And uh, you, you're treating me like... Uh, nothing better than a dead dog or the head of a dead dog. That's what it says, right? That is what it says. Uh, verse 9, so do God to Abner and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so uh, I do to him. Uh, verse 10, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to uh, Beersheba. Um, this is um, interesting. Um, who does the whole kingdom, who does the Lord intend to be king over all of the land at this time? Rich? It's, it's David, right? Uh, and, and that comes out here in verse 9 and 10. That, that's, it's, that's supposed to be the case. Verse 10, to translate or to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to set up the throne of David. Uh, over This is God's plan. Uh, from Dan even to Beersheba. If you have your map, take a look at that. Uh, if not, that's okay. But if you look way up at the top or the north, uh, north of uh, the Sea of Galilee, it's called the Sea of Kenareth on your map. That's another name that the Bible uses. Uh, Dan is way up there due north of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so from the no all the way up in the north to all the way down in the south, just under Judah to the left there, uh, Beersheba. So from, yeah, from, from all the land, from, from the north to the south, is God's plan that David would be the king over, over all this. And verse 11 says, he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. Uh, so, you know, Abner is upset. He, uh, he and uh, Ishbosheth exchange words. 
Uh, both of them have been reminded that, hey, you know what, it's, it's God's plan that David would be king over all the land. Uh, and Abner here in his uh, anger, uh, probably only in his anger, uh, decides he, he's going to defect from the house of Saul to, to David. He's, uh, he's going to defect. Now, Brother Art, you look at this and say, is this just an angry man who's um, just angrily, uh, he's offended. Yeah, he's offended. He's angry. Is, is it just his anger that's going to lead him to defect over David? It might be. Uh, but I think you could see here at least the suggestion that God has been working, uh, allowing this sort of simmering situation between uh, both, both parties here, strengthening David, wearing down Abner and Ishbosheth, allowing their situation, uh, their relationship to begin to unravel. Uh, God's at least allowing that, if not authoring this, uh, so that Abner would defect over to David uh, and eventually uh, use his power and influence, because Ishbosheth is he's a weak king. It's Ab the real power is with Abner. Uh, Abner's uh, authority and relationships and power eventually be used to bring uh, the 11 tribes under David. And, and in that, David's reign will be consolidated over all the tribes, which is God's plan. Uh, that's God's plan. So you can look at this and say, why would God allow the tribes to be at war with each other? Why would God allow uh, Abner to get into this situation with this concubine? Why would God allow these, these friends to kind of come at each other like this? Well, God's going to, he's going to work in all of that uh, to accomplish his plan, which is to unite all of the land, all the tribes under David. Uh, by the way, I will take care to note that I don't believe God authored Abner's sin here. He didn't, he didn't sovereignly work uh, in this situation to cause Abner to sin with this concubine and then use that to uh, separate Abner from Ishbosheth. But, but God certainly did allow that. Uh, he did allow it, and he did use it, I believe. Uh, to accomplish his good purposes. So here's, here's his defection in verse 12. Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf saying, whose is the land? Uh, saying also, make thy league with me. Uh, remember the League of Nations? Was that a, a forerunner to the, to what? Yes. Historians, to the United Nations? Okay, so same idea, make thy league with me. Let's, let's form a league together. Let's, let's bind ourselves together. Make thy league with me. And and behold, my hand shall be with thee uh, to bring about all Israel unto thee. So he goes to David, who's been his enemy, uh, and says, listen, you, you, you join up with me and, and I will work to bring uh, the other tribes under you. Uh, David tentatively agrees, but uh, he wants to kind of test Abner's earnest. He wants a, he wants a little bit of an earnest payment uh, before he uh, agrees completely here. Verse 13, uh, David said, uh, well, underlying word means fine or good. So he says, well, okay, uh, that's good, that's good, but uh, I will make a league with thee, but one thing I require of thee. That is, that sh thou shalt not see my face except thou bring uh, Michael, uh, Saul's daughter, when thou comest to see my face. Who is that? It's his wife. That's his wife. Yeah. Remember, uh, Saul grabbed her back up, right? Uh, before he died, obviously. That would be hard after he died, Mike. Yeah, this is his wife. So he says, listen, I'm, uh, I'm going to tentatively agree that, you know, I'll... 
you and I will, will form a league and uh, you'll bring the tribes in on, under my kingship. We both know that's God's plan. But uh, before I, you know, ink this deal with you, you got to prove your sincerity to me. And uh, I think this is, I think this is wise on David's part. I think this is a, this is a great wisdom. He, he wants to test Abner's sincerity, not trusting him. And I think that's very wise that Abner not be trusted given that, you know, yesterday he was an enemy. Uh, yesterday they were fighting against each other and, and today he wants to be, he wants to be friends. They, he wants to be allies. Uh, Rafi, I think he also wanted his wife back. Amen. Brother Garcia, I think, I think this man wanted his wife back. Someone say, well, he's got six other wives. Think, well, yeah, but he wants this wife back. <laughs> this is, this is the one he wants back. Um, David sent messengers, verse 14, to Ishbosheth. It's interesting. I, I think he, he probably didn't trust Abner completely, so he sends messengers to Ishbosheth, uh, to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife, Michael, which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins uh, of the Philistines. Actually, two hundred is what he brought, I think. And Ishbosheth sent and uh, took her from her husband, even from Faltiel, uh, the son of Laish. Now, this is very interesting. It seems like she is remarried or, you know, living. Uh, she has a husband, verse 15. Uh, and so for Ishbosheth to send her back to David, uh, he's necessarily going to have to split up the marriage that she is now living in. And, you know, that obviously is, is not an ideal thing. This is, you know, this is, this, I don't think we could say this is God's will. Uh, David probably didn't know that this was, you know, going to be part of that equation, but uh, this is in, indeed part of the situation here. So this is a, you know, unfortunate consequence of, of the whole history here. Not enough respect having been given to marriage by Saul uh, put his daughter into a situation where she's probably been forced into a remarriage, and now she's being ripped apart from that husband and, and sent back to David. That's a that's a very difficult thing. And of course, if, if all parties have given more respect and, and treated the, the marriage covenant as, as more of a, um, a bond not to be broken uh, earlier, this, this, would, this difficult situation would not be here. And so we, we do well to uh, consider that. Verse 16, her husband went with her. Well, okay, he's going with her uh, along weeping behind her to Bahurim, or Bahurim, uh, then said Abner unto him, go, return, and he returned. So he, he did not stay um, uh, with her. He was not permitted to. Uh, verse 17, Abner communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, he sought for David in times past to be king over you. So uh, sure enough, Abner is going to hold up his end of the bargain. He goes to the elders of the various tribes and says, hey, listen, remember in the past, uh, you understood that David would be king. That was God's plan. And uh, this was something that you desired uh, in the past. He says, verse 18, now uh, then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David, say, excuse me, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. Uh, the elders of the tribes, uh, they agree. They, they understand that, uh, you know, they've, they've been in a difficult situation under Saul. Uh, they, they faced a very difficult trial after the death of Saul and this sort of simmering cold war with David that has worn them down and probably had flare-ups along the way that caused uh, you know, friends and family to die along the way. Uh, they've had enough of that. 
they, they've had enough. And it seems like they pretty quickly agree, yeah, we need to line up with God's plan. We've, we've been worn out by being or worn down by being out of God's plan. And so we're ready to be in God's plan. Um, God ever worked that way today, do you suppose? Do you suppose he, he allows us? Well, let, let me stop um, asking a couple ways. Does he allow us to walk out of his plan at times? Church? He does. We know that. I mean, there's, that's obvious, right? Because we find ourselves there. I mean, clearly not living according to the word of God. You could struggle sometimes to know his specific will for your life or a specific plan for your life, I mean to say. But uh, when, we're at, when we're living in a way that's not consistent with the Bible, we know we're outside of, of God's will and plan for our lives. And um, does God sometimes allow us to experience trials at that time? Yes, we talk about that all the time. We know that. Uh, we know that God will allow corrective trials uh, when we willfully walk out of his will. Zach, is, um, is it a loving thing or is it an unloving thing? It's a loving thing, right? Because he cares about us. He could, you know, God, God could be very retributional. He, he could just say, listen, you, you choose to walk away from me. You choose to walk out of my will and walk in a way that's not according to my word. Fine. He could say, just go ahead and do that. And, you know, goodbye. I wash, wash my hands of you. Uh, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. Gary, he, he, he enters into our lives at, at just the right time with just the right trial to get our attention and kind of shake us up a little bit, cause us to kind of spin us around and uh, cause us to forsake where we had been, to repent, to turn and, uh, and move back in, in a direction of, of obedience. So praise God. Uh, praise God he does do that. You stop and say, thank him. Lord, thank God. I can look back and see at this point in my life, at this point in my life, uh, you intervened. And it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't fun. But you, you gave me the spank that I needed. It was just hard enough. It was just the right time, just the right place. And uh, you got my attention and you set me back on the right course. And uh, praise God for that. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, I believe that the Lord has... Uh, allowed the, the tribes that had arrayed against David and against God's plan to experience this wearing down process we saw early in the chapter uh, as chastening and um, to cause them to see, yeah, we need to get back into God's will, just like he does today, just like he does today. Um, and so they, they, they line up. They, they essentially agree uh, that this is what they need to do. Um, Abner 17 verse 18 sorry verse 18 now then do it for the Lord hath spoken of David yep we saw that the elders agree 19 Abner spake also spake in the ears of Benjamin and Abner went also uh, to speak in the ears of David and Hebron all that seemed good to Israel and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin uh, verse 20 so Abner came to David uh, to Hebron that's where he's living at this time uh, we don't have Jerusalem yet, remember that. Uh, and 20 men with him, and David made Abner and the men that were with him a what? what was, what's the last word there? What do you make? They must have been Baptists, right? It's time to eat, yeah. We're gonna celebrate, Zach says amen. <laughs> they're, they're Baptists, right? They got the casseroles going, right, Zach? <laughs> amen. Um, yeah, this, this would be an occasion to celebrate. There may be 
uh, you know, the celebration may be part of sort of formalizing their agreement here also. Uh, but, but there's a celebrate, and this, this, is a, this is a monumental occasion. This is worthy of celebrating. Uh, there, there is an agreement, it would seem in principle at least, among the elders that the tribes need to come together and place themselves under David, uh, God's man, and that the, the, the land would be consolidated under, under one king. And, uh, Abner, so they, they, they celebrate this decision. Uh, Abner uh, departs in verse 21. He's, he's got to go out there and, and make sure that actually happens. It's, it's one thing to have the, the leaders agree to something in principle. It's another thing to make it happen. And so uh, Abner is uh, evidently, he's sent, he offers to go out, but it's certainly he's probably sent out by David to, uh, to go forth and, and kind of give give teeth to this agreement, uh, make sure it happens. Abner said to David, I will rise and go and will gather all Israel unto my Lord, the king, that they may make a league with thee and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away. Uh, he went in peace. Good. Uh, and behold, verse 22, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. Uh, who's Joab? Who's Joab? Remember him? Who's he? He's David's general. He's basically David's Abner, right? Abner had been Saul's guy, and Joab is, is David's guy, right? The generals, the generals. So um, Abner on Saul's side, now David's side, but Joab is, is David's longstanding king. Um, I haven't really got into this yet, but um, Joab's going gonna, gonna to cause some trouble here. And um, if, you, if you've studied Joab's life, and his service under David, uh, does, it get, does it get better over time or does it get worse over time? Do you remember? It doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. Um, Joab causes David a lot of grief <laughs> over the years. And uh, here's, here's the first, here's the first uh, hint that Joab, well, it seems like he's been a pretty faithful uh, leader of the troops uh, up to this point. He he has his own agenda, and Mike, I, I would dare say again that this is an example of a man's pride getting in the way of his service uh, to his king and to his lord. And um, he says, I'm going think, think about that as we look at the next uh, several verses here. How, how is it that this might reflect Abner's pride? Uh, so so uh, forgive me, Joab, Joab. So verse 22, Joab is back. They come from pursuing a troop. They've gone out on some kind of little military campaign brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away and was gone in peace. When Joab, verse 23, and all the host that was with him were come, um, they, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he's gone in peace. Now, Joab didn't know this. He was out you know, on some kind of military campaign. He comes back, and, and David's not there, and he said, hey, uh, David and Abner, they, they made a treaty, and Abner's been sent out to, to make it a thing, to make it real. And uh, what would you think if you were Joab? What would you think if you were Joab? What would you think if you were Joab? Guys, why might you be upset about that? Yeah, I mean, these guys had been enemies, right? Uh, Joab and Abner, I mean, they, they were kind of at the same position on opposite sides of the battle, right? And 
uh, Joab comes back, and, and, and he doesn't know a thing. Uh, no one told me. Couldn't you have sent someone to tell us? Uh, couldn't you have sent us a scout or somebody, a messenger, to tell us? He comes back and learns that uh, Abner has made a, a treaty with David, and he's gone in peace, and where's David? I told Zach tonight when he got here that Grandpa was in the hospital. He said, I'm going to try not to be upset that no one told me that until now. <laughs> right? I mean, you just, why didn't someone tell me? I didn't want him to be, you know, upset throughout the day. You would have prayed if I had told you, right? I know. I should have just told you. Um, I, I suspect, Brother Mike, that Joab's pride is hurt here. Uh, how is it that this enemy of mine is now friends with my king? And how this happened while I was gone? And why did no one tell me? And you know, I think he's got a little bit of a pride issue here. And this is, this is going to come out, I think. Uh, verse 28, thou knowest Abner, the son of Nair, uh, he came to deceive thee. Rich, that's what you said. He didn't trust. He didn't trust. Joab didn't trust that Abner came with uh, good intentions. He came to deceive uh, and to know thy goings out and thy coming in as a spy, uh, and to know that all thou doest. And when, verse 46, when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah, but David knew it not. Uh, so Joab's upset. He's, you know, he's playing like he's only concerned that Abner's intentions weren't good, but he's just playing upset, I think. And so he sends messengers to uh, Abner and says, you come back here. I, I need to, I need to meet, meet with you, mister. You, you get back here now. Verse 27, when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, Brother Mike privately. He smote him there under the fifth rib. That he what? What did he do? What did Joab do to Abner? Killed him. Took him aside privately. Hey, come here. I want to talk to you. And then, and then he jabbed him under the fifth rib, causing him to die uh, for the blood of, of who? He says Asahel, his brother. Now, was there a thing there? Is, is that a thing? Um, remember, um, Joab's uh, brothers uh, were, in fact, killed. So some of the brothers were, were killed um, back, back in the battle that we, we saw uh, before now. Uh, and so, uh, Mike, his true motive seems to be what? What's it, what, is it, what seems like his true motive is? You know, he said, I, I, above he says, oh, he came to deceive you as a spy, trying to trick you. But the Bible says he, he killed him, he, caused, he died, killed him for the blood of Ashel's. What's, what's his real motive? What is it? Seems like revenge, right? It seems like revenge. Um, not, not leaving it to the Lord to deal with this man, but it seems like revenge. And uh, you could say, well, that's a just thing, except it's, it's personal revenge outside the bound of any authority and justice system that would have made it more proper. And uh, it certainly it'd be very hard to say that he had authority uh, from anyone to you know, it's sort of vigilante justice, right? It's not something that was been done properly uh, through, through there's, no, there's been no trial, there's been no um, calling of witnesses, which the law required, by the way, multiple witnesses. There's none of that. It's just uh, vengeance, angry vengeance. Uh, Zach, ang angry vengeance can take us to a bad place, right? I mean, Get that thought in your brain tonight. Let's underscore that. Angry vengeance can take us to a bad place uh, very quickly. Um, when we desire vengeance, what should we do? Gary. 
pray, and pray what? What would you pray specifically? Vengeance is God's. Lord, help me to remember that vengeance is yours. Lord, if there's, if, if there's justice that you know, government should be carrying out against this man, I pray that that would happen. But in the end, I, I just trust it to you. And uh, Lord, I trust whatever vengeance should be carried out that you will see fit to carry it out either now uh, and or in the future. And just trust God to take care of that. Amen. Uh, there's, there's, there's been, you know, any number of examples of vigilante justice in history. And it's, it's not godly. It's not godly. We're not talking about war and that, that sort of context. That, that's, that is what it is. It's a necessary thing. This, this one-on-one vigilante justice, this angry, um, what did you say it was, Rich? Vengeance or angry revenge-seeking. It's not God's plan. It's prideful. Uh, afterward, verse 28, David heard it. He said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. David says, listen, I want everybody to know that this was not my plan. It wasn't my, I'm a righteous king called by God. It was not my plan that Joab would kill Abner. I didn't send him to do it. It's, it's, it's not on me. He says, verse 29, let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house. Come down to verse 30. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner. Uh, so it was Joab and, and Abishai who uh, had their hands in this. Verse 30 reveals because he had slain their brother, uh, Asahel, at Gibeon in the battle. We did see that. So uh, it was actually two on one when you see verse 30. Uh, David, um, <laughs> what did David do when Saul died? What did he do? when? Did he celebrate it? Did he say, yeah, Praise God, Saul is dead. Did he do that? He did not do that. What did he do? What did he do? He mourned. He lamented the death of his king, right? He was the God-called king, the first, the first king that God, well, permitted, but God chose at the people's insistence. Uh, he, he knew that uh, although Saul had been very unrighteous toward him, that the righteous thing for David to do was to mourn uh, the loss of, of their king, and so he did. Um, David carries that same example out here. This man, Abner, who had been their enemy, but who of late came to, to form a treaty and try to bring the, the tribes together under David, <laughs> carrying out God's plan, uh, he mourns. He mourns Abner, uh, his longtime enemy, only recent ally. Verse 31, David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes. Uh, mourn this man's death and gird you with sackcloth and mourn uh, before Abner. And David, King David himself followed uh, the buyer. This would be like the funeral bed or funeral procession. Uh, he's buried. Uh, they buried him. Remember, that's what we do. We bury people, dead people, right? Biblically, we don't see people being burned. They're buried. Uh, in Hebron, the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. They followed David's example, not celebrating the death of one who had been an enemy, but, but mourning uh, the death of this man who, you know, had come trying to make things right, if only of late. Uh, David expresses his great displeasure. Uh, at how Abner has died. Verse 33, the king lamented over Abner and said, died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put in fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. All the people wept again over him. David wanted to make it clear that uh, he understood that, that Abner had been killed in a, in a very unrighteous way and that it was a wicked thing for wicked men to have done this to him. Uh, David fasted in grief before he had celebrated with Abner with a feast. 
Now he fasts as part of his uh, mourning of Abner's death. When all the people were come to cause David to eat meat, verse 35, while it was yet day, David swears, saying, so do God to me, and more also if I taste bread or aught else till the sun be down. He's, he's mourning the death of this man. Uh, the people notice that David's grief is genuine, and the Bible makes it clear that his genuine grief, um, they understand to testify to his innocence, his true innocence in, in the death of Abner. And um, the people see that David is genuinely innocent of, of killing this man. And so, Mike, they, they understand they have a king who's righteous. They have a king who's righteous. And in that, we'll see these verses in a minute, but in that... Um, seeing that their king is righteous, not, not guilty, but rather righteous, at least in this particular matter. Uh, Brother Ray, we might say David is a picture of whom? Another king. Who? Lord Jesus Christ, a righteous king. David's an imperfect man, but in so many ways he pictures Christ, Christ the righteous. Uh, verse 36, all the people took notice of it, David's genuine mourning, and it pleased them as whatsoever the king did please to all the people, for all the people of Israel, let me try that again, for all the people in all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner the son of Herod. David didn't do that. He didn't cause it to be done. He didn't do it personally. Verse 38, the king said unto his servants, know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Question mark. Um, verse 39, David says this, um, it's interesting, he, he knows pretty clearly who has killed Abner, be his nephews, if we understand the relationship correctly. But he says in verse 39, um, and I am this day weak, though anointed king, and these men, the son of Zeruiah, be too hard for me. Um, they're his nephews. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. It's interesting, brother, uh, our going to say Gary, I don't know, brothers, brothers Sylvia. It seems like David doesn't think that he has or should punish these men. He is the king, but he, for whatever reason, and I'm honestly not sure, maybe someone has a thought on this, share it with me afterwards, please. He doesn't think that he has or should um, bring justice against these men, execute justice. And so, Zach, if, if that's what he thinks, whether it's right or wrong, if, if someone has done wrong and, and you don't, you're upset about it, and you, but you don't think you have power to carry out justice against them or you don't think you should do that, uh, what should you do? And Gary gave us the answer already, but trust the Lord. You commit it into the hands of God and trust the Lord to work out his justice, his perfect justice, uh, eventually. And it's pretty much what David says. He says, um, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. David doesn't think he can or should um, bring justice against the two guilty parties. They are his relatives. Mike, and maybe he just means, I, I can't do that. These, these men are my relatives. I can't do that. And so he commits it into the hands of the Lord. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, help us when, we, um, when we're upset, when, when some injustice has been committed against us, um, to recognize that 
we do best just to commit it into your hands. And I understand today we have, we have governmental authority, police and, and courts and so forth, and that is ordained of God to carry out civil justice, this side of heaven, and that's completely biblical. Um, beyond that, our personal involvement is to pray and put it in God's hands. Lord, we, we commit it into your hands and, and trust you uh, to carry out justice in the end. Can you trust God to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Brother, Art, I, I think so often, you know, people, people, um, well, we know that they will allow their anger to cause them to carry out justice when they should not. And that's ironic, right? To perform an injustice at the anger about another injustice. Um, that's ironic. Um, if, if people only understood this truth that God will carry out whatever vengeance is due much better than anyone else can, that would be a great comfort, don't you think? That'd be a great comfort. Let's keep that in mind. We, we can trust the Lord to execute whatever justice and vengeance is ultimately required. Now, of course, we would hope and pray that a guilty party would be saved and, and forgiven and that we would be able to forgive. But if not, if not, we place it into God's hands and trust him to carry out justice and vengeance and take great comfort knowing that he will. He will. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you uh, tonight for the things that we can see here. Lord, we, we see that David is being blessed tonight um, despite the fact of trials